and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz podcast, a show for creatives to encourage and inspire through actionable legal, tax, money, and business topics. I'm Braden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator. If you are ready to get your legal and tax shit legit, you are in the right place. But before we fully dive in, here is a quick word from my sponsors. This episode is brought to you by my free training, The Three Legal and Tax Mistakes Made by New and Experienced Business Owners and How You Can Avoid Them. Here's the thing. There's a few key things we've all got to do to make sure we unfuck our biz. I've seen all the mistakes and I know how to help you get past them. So here's what I want you to do. Go to www.unfuckyourbiz.com, sign up for the free training, watch it, and do at least one of the homework assignments I share in the masterclass. Promise? Okay, now let's dive into the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 124 of the Unfuck Your Biz podcast. As always, this is your host, Brayden, and today I am back with Jaquette Timmons, who is a financial financial behaviorist. Did I say that right? Yes. Owner of Sterling Investment Management. So if you missed this week's episode on Tuesday and last week's episode on Tuesday, go back and give those a listen. We did Jaquette's intro on those episodes so you can learn a little bit more about um, what a financial behaviorist is. Jaquette, what I did not ask you on those previous episodes, so let's really dig into that here, is who exactly is it that you serve? Who do you work with? Uh, all those kind of fine details about your business. Yeah, thank you for asking. So there are three pillars to my business. So one is where I do one-on-one coaching, and that's primarily with entrepreneurs and small business owners. And I'm either doing financial coaching or that and business coaching, so integrating the two. So that's one pillar. The second pillar is that I am a for-hire speaker. So Fortune 100 to 500 companies, AM Law 200 firms, national nonprofits, conferences, both large and boutique, um, nonprofit organizations, they might bring me in to either deliver my signature talk or some other kind of talk or to sit on a panel or do a fireside chat. And regardless of the format of that engagement and the title of it, They're bringing me on because of my perspective when it comes to integrating the psychology and the emotions and math of money. And then the third pillar of my business is where I host events. So I host a dinner series where we get together to talk about money, business, and life over food and wine. And pre-COVID, that was in person at a restaurant here in New York City. And post, it has since been virtual. And then I also um, host a pricing masterclass and workshop, both myself and inside other people's masterminds, where we tackle pricing from all three sides, the financial, the emotional, and the personal. And I have a particular framework that dives into that by exploring four key relationships your relationship with money, with yourself, with your business, and with the people that you serve. And I call that framework pricing made human. Wow. I love pricing made human. That's a great title. I'm trying to, I was also digesting like all of those different um, avenues that you said you're going down. That's amazing. First of all, 
Um, I want to go to one of those dinners once we're allowed to have them again. I'll fly to New York to attend. <laughs> second. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I got friends there. I can go visit, right? Um, second, love yes. that you're doing the speaking. That's like on my to-do list at some point in time. So love that. We're going to focus on, I don't think I have any Fortune 100 or Fortune 500 people who listen to my podcast. <laughs> so we'll, we're going to focus on the entrepreneurial aspects. How does that sound? That sounds fantastic. Okay, awesome. Um, all right, so we're going to kind of kick it off here by having an expanded discussion on what we started back on Tuesday. So, Jacquette, we were talking about Suzanne's question when Suzanne essentially asked us, how do we start by figuring out our pricing, specifically looking at competitor pricing? So I know you shared some awesome nuggets of wisdom on that topic on the last episode, but I also know that you were excited to dive back into it today. So what more do we have to say on this topic? So the reason why I loved Suzanne's question is that it's one that we all have, right? Because at the end of the day, asking the question, what should I charge for this is ubiquitous. And it's one that we should ask all the time because pricing is the backbone of every business, regardless of the size, right? Regardless of if you are uh, an employee, a company of one, or if you've got several employees and, you know, regardless of whether you're just starting out or you've been in business for many years, it's an important question. The challenge though, is that because it is a ubiquitous one, people often look for the answer to it externally. And I always say that the answer is much more personal. And I, I love to give the example of, you can have two airlines leaving from the same airport, flying into the same airport and departing and arriving at around the same time. And they will charge differently for the seats on their plane. I live here in Brooklyn, New York. And you know, I walk out my door, I make a left, there's a coffee shop on the same side of the block as me. If I literally cross the street, there's another coffee shop. Like you can walk out one door, cross the street, go into another door and another coffee shop. If I cross the avenue and make a left, there's another coffee shop. And if I go to the next corner and make a right, there's another coffee shop. And I share that because within less than five minutes out of my front door, I have four options, none of which are Starbucks, which for me is good because I'm not really a fan of their coffee. But my point is whether I just get a black coffee or I get a dirty iced chai latte, the price is going to be different at every single one of them. And yet they are in such close proximity. And so while there is a natural tendency to want to know what our competitors are doing, and that could perhaps be helpful from an anchoring standpoint, I think far too often, especially as service-based entrepreneurs, we rely on that quote-unquote competitive research and analysis way too much when setting up our own pricing. Do you, do you think most small businesses, when they're starting out, do you think that they're looking at competitor pricing because they are strategically trying to figure out how to position themselves against the market? Or do you think they're really just looking at that because they just really have no idea where to start? So they just kind of want like a, like a roadmap to follow, so to speak. I think it's a combination of both. And I also think that in addition to it being a combination of both, it has a lot to do with what was the inspiration for you starting your business? So did you start your business while you were working full time and it was a side hustle? Did you start your business because you were laid off and maybe you had a side hustle or maybe you just had an idea? 
excuse me, and now that you are downsized and you hopefully have a severance package and some time, you're like, oh, let me give this idea a shot. Or are you starting a business, but the circumstances under which you're doing that are such that, you know, your partner, your husband, your wife, your boyfriend or girlfriend can cover all of the household expenses and therefore your business doesn't really have the pressure of meeting any financial obligations. Or maybe it's that you simply come from a wealthy family and, you know, again, your business doesn't have the pressure. So I think all of those elements also play a role and have an influence on how you look at pricing and how you choose to approach it. Yeah, I, I still remember when I started my business, I look back and I kind of shake my own head at what I charged for some things. I remember I did, I started out doing one hour consultations for $100. And I thought uh-huh. like that was a really big ask to uh-huh. have people pay me $100. And granted, at the time, I was new in business, but I had a law, law degree, passed the bar exam, and I also had a master's degree in tax. I went to my first mastermind retreat. And everyone told me I needed to triple my, triple my prices. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So an, another thing I was thinking about as you, start, as you started um, like discussing all of those points is I, for whatever reason, I immediately went back to a marketing class I had in undergrad. And I had a professor who was, he said he was a pricing specialist in marketing. So he talked about like the P's of marketing. I don't remember the P's not really that important, but one of them is price, right? Price, product, promotion. I think there's a couple others. Position. But he, position. Okay, there we go. You probably know him a lot better than I do because um, <laughs> you're in more in that world. But I remember his expertise was in pricing and he actually did a lot of consulting work for Procter & Gamble. So like one of his jobs would be to figure out what the price point needed to be on a tube of toothpaste. And that's like a commodity, right? So I'm sure they're looking at a lot of like data and analytics. Do you do the same type of thing when you work with clients on pricing or is it, you know, like vastly different where we're not as, you know, we're not digging into a spreadsheet to compare ourselves to Colgate really? Well, we're not digging into our spreadsheets to compare ourselves to Colgate, but we should be collecting data and we should be analyzing it. And one of the things that I remind people of is just because you're not a Colgate doesn't mean that you shouldn't be capturing that data and analyzing it and putting it in a spreadsheet like they're doing. And on the flip side, don't think that just because they are you know, a Procter and Gamble or whatever, that they're not factoring in the emotional piece when it comes to money. They might not be factoring in their emotional connection, but they are absolutely thinking about the emotional connection that that their customer has to their product. And that is definitely influencing the way in which they are approaching pricing. Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Whereas I would imagine, well, you tell me in small business, the emotional piece is much more double-ended. So, right, when you're in a big corporate kind of position, not as much emotion on your end, but when you're pricing your own, like, solopreneur packages, you probably are dealing with a lot of your own emotions and maybe money hangups, I would guess, as you're coming up with your pricing. And I think the other challenge is that the thing that sometimes people forget is that their business's success is not just for their business. It's not just for their business. It's not just for the people that they serve, but it also should be that and making sure that that success translates and, and has a positive impact on the health of their personal finances too. And I say that 
because some people can have a business where they're cash flow positive and they're profitable and yet they are broke. How does that work? Oh, it works because you're not paying yourself. It works because you're not paying yourself as much as you could, given how well your business is doing. It can happen because you took some of your personal savings to either start the business, get it through a rough patch, or you know help it get to the next level, but you've never replenished those savings. It can happen because you put a pause on your long-term investing and you initially intended for that to only be for a little bit of time and now a lot of time has passed and you haven't done that and so you know i know i've experienced it personally where one year i was like wait a second how is it that i am broke and this was one of the more profitable cash flow positive years and i've had clients you know who've gotten to the point where they're like yeah i've reached that magical six figures or even seven and they are not doing as well as one would think given how well their business is. So I think part of the challenge is people look at the bottom line number, but don't always go beyond that to make sure that the number is doing for you what you hope or think or want it to do. Yeah, this is why I'm a big fan of everyone getting on a salary. So I talk about this a lot, especially when we talk about S-Corps, but even if you don't have an S-Corp, like get yourself on an informal salary so that you're paying yourself every other Friday. Because what I think is crazy is when people actually are cash flow positive, but they're just like hoarding money in their business bank account for some reason. I don't, it's a little wild. <laughs> yeah. And then that, but, and then that gets to, you know, being clear about um, what is, I, I think, I think every bucket of money needs to have a job. And so that means that you haven't given that bucket of money a job. So you're not, either you're not clear about what it is or there is um, a hoarding thing that you need to work on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I guess hoarding money is not the worst kind of hoarding, but it's still not ideal. It's, exactly. Exactly. There are worse things you can do with it. <laughs> yes. Yes. So let's, let's give the money a job. We invest it. Right. We pay it out. Because I talk about all the time, and this is you know deeper than we need to go on this podcast, but pretty much all of us have pass-through businesses, which means we're paying taxes on the money regardless of whether we've transferred it to our personal bank account. So let's go ahead and put it to work. Right. Exactly. Okay. Love it. So let's um, let's get into some more pricing details. And what sure. I would um, what I would love to hear from you first of all. Okay. First question I'm going to ask you is this is what I like to ask a lot of my guests is tell me one like stake in the ground like that you like to put in the ground. God, I worded that terribly. What is a stake in the ground issue for you when it comes to pricing? Did that make sense? Yes. Okay. Um, so putting you on the spot. No, no, no. It's it's quite okay. So my stake in the ground uh, comes is probably most evident when it comes to speaking. And you know there are two things. One is people will sometimes reach out and they'll and they're like, oh, we don't have the budget. <laughs> and so I've got two rules every year. I will do uh, two speaking engagements that are pro bono, but they are only for nonprofit organizations. That's A. And B, if I really want to work with someone and they cannot afford my normal rate, my counter to them is 
I'm happy to speak. However, I'm not doing a presentation. You're going to have to do a Q&A. And so that's my, my stake in the ground. Um, another stake in the ground. I don't know if this is really a stake in the ground. Well, can I share an example, a, a story with you? And you can tell me if it's a stake in the ground. <laughs> Absolutely. Even if it's not, I'm sure it will be informative for us all. So we'll take it. So um, this is going back to 2018. So in 2018, I was doing two tours um, for two different firms. And I was on the road every week from September through December, except for 10 days. And those 10 days were not consecutive. I give you that just to explain how much of my business model was speaking, at least until March of 2020. And at one of those events, um, someone was in the audience and they were like, oh, we want you to come and do this for our people. And I'm like, okay, great. Let's chat. So we schedule a time to chat. And before we get on the call, I say to myself, I should at least have a you know, number in mind just in case pricing comes up in the conversation. Sure enough, pricing comes up in the conversation. I make my, I you know, say the quote, they're fine with it. We hang up. But what I did not do is I didn't recalibrate in real time because what we had initially planned to talk about based upon our email exchanges, the scope of the speaking engagement expanded. And so I didn't recalibrate in real time. And when I hung up the phone, what I realized was, holy crap, I have now agreed to do two speaking engagements for the price of one. I slept on it. And then the very next day, I wrote an email and I just owned up to it. I was like, you know, I made a mistake. I didn't re recalibrate in real time, but, but here's what I want to do to honor the number that I gave you yesterday. If you do both events the same day, so maybe you've got a luncheon event and then you do a, an evening event, I'll keep it at the same price. But if you want me to do two evening events, here's the new price. And for me, the reason that that was important is several fold. Number one, I've got to travel. I always have as a, a part of my contract that you have to fly me in the day before. Like none of this fly me in the day that I'm speaking. I don't do that. And I don't do red eyes either. So those are also stakes in the ground, I think. Um, and so, you know, I was like, if, if you want to do two days in a row, um, it's going to be this new price. And then they're like, oh yeah, no problem. We get that. Now it ended up not even happening, but the point of the matter is I wanted to make sure when we, when we talked about positioning at the, at, the, at the top, I wanted to make sure that from a positioning standpoint and from a value standpoint that they had in their mind that they anchored me as a person, a speaker who is coming in at X pricing point, not a price point that was beneath that. So I don't know if that's an example for you, but I look at that as an example for um, a line in the sand, if you will. Yeah. Kind of what was turning through my head as you told that story, and this would be the way that I would synthesize it. Let me know if you agree. It's kind of like what you were really trying to do in that situation is just making sure that you were keeping your pricing structure within like your own business integrity while still like honoring to the best you could the conversation that you had on that phone call. True. Absolutely. But I also think it goes back to the whole 
um, brand positioning piece, right? Because, you know, there are some people, like I know in corporate settings, that sometimes people think that they're doing themselves a benefit by going into a corporate corporation and lowballing their proposal. And the reality is they tend to throw those pitches out because they're like, oh my God, if that person's coming in so low, we're not even <laughs> going to take them seriously. So it was also a matter of, I want to make sure that they have a particular viewpoint of me as a speaker, what I bring to the table. And to me, that's all a part of branding. Got it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's super important because we do, I mean, brand is, is so all encompassing, right? So I think that our pricing structure does also say a lot about our brand as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> like no one, like no one really wants to be like the dollar tree of like insert whatever your industry is. Or if you do, then own it, but recognize that you're going to need an extreme amount of volume to make the numbers that you're going to make. Because let's face it, right? If we think about, I love to use the example of a hamburger. McDonald's ain't hurting. <laughs> <laughs> that is okay. Yeah, that's, that's, very, that's very fair. Actually, I do remember having a conversation about this with one of my friends. And she was talking about um, shoot and burn photographers. So photographers that just kind of like shoot the photos hand them over, call it a day. And she was like, it's terrible. No one should really do it. And I was like, well, I'm sure there are people who figured out a way to make that profitable. It's just, you know, which business model do you want to have? How are you going to scale it? Exactly. Yep. Yes. Okay. So when it comes to some of those questions, like with regard to, do I want to have a low dollar, high volume business? Do I want to have like a really high dollar, high dollar, high touch business? What are some of the questions that you would maybe ask like your one-on-one -on -one clients as you're exploring those different avenues to scale? This is where I lean into uh, my former background as someone that managed money. So I have my MBA in finance and for many years managed money for high net worth individuals. And so this is where I will lean into that because when we're putting together a strategy, we're putting together a portfolio, right? Whether that's a, a portfolio of individual stocks or a portfolio of mutual funds. So I would always suggest to people that you don't just look at what you offer unless you literally just offer one thing. I don't suggest looking at just that one offer. I suggest looking at it in the context of everything else that you offer and where does it fit in when you think of it as a portfolio? Like, is it your lead generation offer? Is it your paid lead generation offer? Is it something in the middle? Is it your signature offer? And if it is something that's, you know, the lead generator or the paid lead generator, how do you get that? that person to the signature offer? Are they the same people <laughs> that you are taking through a process to get them through, you know, through to your signature offer? Because that doesn't always, the person who buys at the lower end doesn't necessarily always end up as the person who's in your signature experience. So I would always suggest to people to map out what are your offers um, you know, just like we talked about earlier that you, you have to give your money a job. I think every offer that you offer, whether it's a service, a product, whether it's digital, whether it's a group program, whatever it is, 
it has two jobs. It has the job that it's doing in the life of, you know, whomever you're serving through that vehicle, but then it also has a job in your business. And so I think you have to look at all of that to really come up with the price on an individual level and to make sure that it makes sense when you think of it as a portfolio. Got it. So these topics are like right up my alley because I've been spending the past several months really working on my own customer journey with my uh, mastermind peers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I know that a lot of my audience are beginners and a lot of this language might be new to them. So I'm going to ask you uh, some very, very basic questions. Sure. Can you tell my people like what an offer is and then like what the difference might be between a signature offer and like a lead generation offer within the context of like one-on-one business coaching, consulting, or other like solo service providers? Sure. So an offer is really anything that you are selling, right? So are you selling a coaching session or a series of sessions? Are you selling a digital product? Are you selling a group experience? So that's your offer. Um, In terms of lead generation, you know, I'll use myself as an example, the dinners that I mentioned. The dinners are $150 and they are not a, you know, profitable offer, if you will, but they are a lead generation offer. So they will, I will sometimes get coaching clients from them. I will sometimes get people that actually work at corporations who then end up putting my name in the hat for a speaking engagement and therefore I'll get a speaking engagement for it. So from that standpoint, it's a lead generator because of what it leads to, but because people are paying for it, it's a paid lead generation. The thing that you may offer as an opt-in when someone comes to your site, that's a lead generator as well, more than likely, but it's more also more than likely not a paid uh, lead generator. And then in terms of the signature offer, I would look at it in terms of what's that singular thing that you perhaps want to be known for. And you could either have it be literally singular, like that's the only thing you want to be known for, or it could be singular in terms of if you have different pillars to your business like I do. Got it. So like for some added context, I was actually just talking to my book coach earlier today on Instagram um, because I told her I priced out a studio, an audio studio to re- go record the Audible book. And I was like, it's going to be $3,000. And based on the amount of money I've already paid her, that amount of money, like the amount of money I paid my designer, I was like, if I end up doing this, I, and I said this as a, as a joke, I said, I'll only need to sell 900 more copies before I break even. <laughs> but like with the idea in mind that this is a lead generation offer, my profit margin's only $8 per book, but really I'm making the money on the funnel for the course that people will go into when they get the book. And that's a lot harder to calculate, of course. Right. It is a, it's a lot harder to calculate, but I think it's important to know for you to know that that's how you're thinking about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause you know, I, I flippantly say, I'm like, should I do it? I got to sell, you know, a thousand more books to break even knowing that like she's rolling her eyes as she's listening to my voice memo. Um, <laughs> Okay, so I have, um, I have one more question on this general topic, because I have a feeling that a lot of my listeners are probably sitting there thinking, well, I don't have all these things, because I 
work with a lot of wedding planners, a lot of wedding photographers, and they have maybe two or three packages. Like you want to hire me to plan your wedding, I have package A, B, and C at various price points, ranging from 3000 up to 8000 Do you think it's necessary for those types of service providers to have a lead gen offer? No. Uh, Real short answer, no. I also think that if they're really starting out, um, and and from my perspective, starting out is probably zero to three years, I would say maybe you just have one offer. Try that. Try that. I love that answer because I'm a big fan of essentialism and been uh-huh. trying to streamline my own business. And mm-hmm. I love, I really like that you say that because I have a feeling a lot of us listen to these types of podcasts and we're like, well, Braden has these three different kinds of offers and Jaquette has like four or five offers. So that must be like what I need to do next. And that's not necessarily the case, of course. It's not necessarily the case, but here's the thing also, I've got multiple pillars, but I only have one offer for the most part in each one. Okay. Love that. So it's like four different avenues with one offer. Like when you say four (laughs) pillars, is it really like four different audiences, would you say? Um, So that's a really good clarifying question. I would probably say it's really two audiences because the coaching is, you know, just as much for the entrepreneurs and small business owners as are the dinners, as are the, you know, pricing masterclasses that I host the thing that is most different is the four higher speaking because that's institutional. Right. Yeah. It's like a whole different, whole different kind of segment. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, segueing into that topic, can you tell us a little bit more about your coaching services? And also you really piqued my interest with your pricing made human workshop. If you can tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, you know, I think the thing that might be helpful is to just really briefly share with folks a bit about my journey so that it kind of makes sense and puts it into context. So I shared with you already that I have my MBA in finance and I started my career um, managing money for high net worth individuals. And that's actually how I got interested uh, in behavioral finance. Because even though at the time I wasn't managing money, um, I was at Bankers Trust, which is now Deutsche Bank. And I was a year out of undergrad and that's when we had Black Monday, October, 1987. And that was the biggest crash since the one that started the depression. So people are running around going crazy. And that's what got me interested in it. I I share all of that to say that my experience in the private bank was the springboard for me starting my own firm. And then four years or so into it, I was like, this is not really working out that well, right? I didn't have as much under management as I had when I was at Bankers Trust. I wasn't making as much. Um, And I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong that I need to stop or what am I not doing that I need to do. And so I went to a coach. This is a real shout out for people who work with coaches like your clients that work with you, Brayden, um, because they can often see things that you can't. And my coach was like, I don't understand. Why are you trying to make this happen? Meaning the investment management, when you're not paying attention to people are asking you to create investment education experiences. Here's why that's an important data point. I started my business in 1995. I did my first speaking engagement in 1996. And I kept getting referral after referral after referral, traveling all over the country. You know, one of my speaking engagements was for AT&T, in St. Thomas, doing a workshop for all of their Caribbean-based employees. A blast! 
But I was just looking at it like, oh, this is consulting that's on the side and it's supplementing the investment management arm of my business because a huge part of my ego was like, I want to be a money manager. Well, once he put that question out there and I got over myself and I looked and I was like, oh my God, 80% of my revenue is coming from speaking and education and it's not coming from investment management. And that then began the process of winding down that side of the business and focusing on speaking. But what happened is at the, at the end of a speaking engagement, people would come up to me and say, hey, I want to work with you. And I'm like, I don't manage money anymore. And they're like, that's exactly why we want to work with you. And that is what started the coaching. So um, I was going somewhere with that example. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do have a follow-up question on that topic. So I'm curious, when you realized you were mating, making 80% of your money from education and speaking, was that mostly due to the fact that you were just getting a lot more organic referrals? Or was it because that arm of your business was just a lot more profitable, so you were making more for the work that you were doing? I think it's a combination of both. Love it. Yeah, because I think that's something, I mean, obviously, I, I, t I don't really teach bookkeeping, but I teach the gospel of needing to do bookkeeping. <laughs> and uh -huh. I, think these, I think these are some of the things that we don't really think about is, you know, keeping your books by offer. Now that everyone knows what an offer is, you should be tracking how much you're making from each one. And a lot of people have some starting, startling realizations. They feel like they're spending 50% of their time on an activity that's only generating like 10% of their revenue. Right. Exactly. And, that, and that, that's, that's really critical insight. And I think it, it, it harkens back to one of the things that I mentioned before when, um, when we were talking about Stephanie and I talked about the return on energy versus the return on investment. Yes. Okay. So the direction we were headed was um, I asked you for a little bit more information about your pricing made human workshops and your one-on-one -on -one coaching services. So with, so, okay, that's how it started. So sorry about that. Um, no worries. So that is what begat the, you know, coaching. And then what I realized, I thought that I was mostly working with individuals or couples. And that is true. But what I realized over time is that the thing that they had in common, regardless of what they functionally did, right? The thing that they had in common was that they were an entrepreneur, a small business owner. They might've been a therapist. They might have been an attorney. They might've been a physician in private practice. Um, they might've been another coach or designer, but they were, they, you know, they have a business. And it, it was one of those things where I did not see that common thread. And so that's what led me to, you know, kind of putting a, a stake in the sand, if you will, to say that I work with entrepreneurs and small business owners, and I'm either working with them on their personal finances or that and doing business coaching. And for me, I really love the hybrid because I really want to dispel this idea and this myth that says in order for you to be an ideal entrepreneur or small business owner, that you've got to give your business everything, including your financial future. Yes, there are times when you'll have some lean moments in your business, but that doesn't mean that you give everything to it at the sacrifice of your personal financial health, which is why I'm so 
um, adamant about, you know, really kind of trying to get people to understand that one of the best business decisions that you can make is to ensure that your business is taking care of your financial health too. So what does that look like in terms of a coaching engagement? We start with your personal finances, like what is it that you want money to do for you? Um, what are your values and all of that when it comes to money and your goals. And then when we're dissecting your business, we're looking at your business model. We're looking at your sales process. We're looking at your uh, pricing strategy. And as we do all of that, we're looking at what's your messaging. We're looking at who is your um, who are your audiences? Because you might have more than one. And, and so who are those audiences? And what is it that you're really delivering for them or promising to deliver for them? Um, and, you know, again, what's, how, how do you approach your sales process? And for me, when it comes to looking at the pricing piece, it's, you know, understanding what is your relationship with money and how is that showing up in your pricing? What's the relationship that you have with yourself and how is that showing up in your pricing? I think sometimes we don't recognize how our relationships, both those that we have with the people that we spend the most time with physically or maybe just on the phone in COVID, um, as well as the people that spend the most time in your head, how they are influencing how you think about your business, how you think about your sales process, how you think about... Um, your pricing, and we take a look at you know what it, what does what needs to happen for you to feel like your business is supporting you, and is that always tied to how well you're doing from a revenue standpoint? Is that tied to the challenges that you overcome? Is it tied to the things that make you most proud? And then you know in terms of your relationship with the people that you serve, that's where it's kind of looking at the positioning piece that we touched upon earlier. And I, I love to use the example of the hamburger because you can get a hamburger at McDonald's, at a diner, at a bistro, at a steakhouse. Each of those are different experiences and different price points. And that also means that you're going to have a different quality of beef as a part of that experience. And you can choose to be wherever you want to be, but make a choice and be clear about that choice and be clear about where you want to be and be clear about where you want other people to perceive you as being. Love it. It's, it's kind of just like bringing, I'm a big fan, like one of my mantras is just bring intentionality to everything it is that you do. It's mm -hmm. like kind of what we're talking about with pricing here. Yep. So um, before we wrap up, any last minute tips, nuggets, things you want to share uh, with all of the lovely listeners before we, before we hit end on this podcast? Yeah. You know, we've been talking about money and pricing and what I'm about to say may sound really counter to all of that, but I think it is really critical. And that is to remember that you actually don't manage money, but you manage your choices. And so when we talk about being intentional, be intentional about your choices. And it's not about being certain of the choice and being certain of, or I guess I should say certain of the outcome of that choice, but being clear. Because I think you want to make sure that A, you're managing your choices and B, you're prioritizing clarity over certainty. Love that. Okay. That was a great, great ending note. So I like to remind everyone listening to the podcast, if you want to learn more about the podcast, come to my weekly Q&As. I have a free Facebook group called Braden's Besties. You can come and join. Jaquette, if they want to become Jaquette's Besties, what's the best way for them to do that? 
<laughs> there are two best ways, of course, right? I love me some Instagram. So come follow me on Instagram. <laughs> Send me a voice message on Instagram. Or you can always go to my website, jacquettetimmons.com forward slash rock your finances. If you want to learn a little bit more about how I work with people and how I might be able to work with you. Beautiful. Okay. We will get all of those links in our show notes for everyone to make sure it's nice and easy for them to find you. Thanks so much for coming on the episode today. Braden, thank you so much. I really have enjoyed my time with you. Awesome. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. Do not forget to go follow Jacquette. You can become best friends like we are. I hope you enjoyed the podcast episode. And of course, don't forget to subscribe so you get notified of the next one. Have a good day. Hey there. Before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.